Welcome back to the show. Today, I sat across from Kaylee McDevitt. She is back by popular demand. Her first episode was phenomenal and very well received by our audience. Today, she's back. She's pregnant. And we have a very nuts and bolts conversation about female fertility, how she's managing her pregnancy, what her plans are for childbirth, and some really tactical stuff around female hormone health and fueling for pregnancy. It's an incredibly insightful episode. Let's get into it. Kaylee, welcome back to the show. You have a, a special moniker now because you're you're our first repeat requested guest <laughs> sitting here doing it, breaking the mold. So congratulations on that prize. And before we get into a lot that's been changing with you, pregnancy and shifting and your business and all of that stuff, we do have to deal with some of the fallout from episode one, very positive <laughs> fallout, but a lot of questions because our clips did really well. There were so many good questions, so many intrigued women in particular, because you did a beautiful job of explaining female fertility and the contraception and all of the consequences of that. So before we get into where you're at now and, and, and the pregnancy and all of that stuff, um, we had many questions about, okay, I really feel this contraceptive story is is deeper, is a deeper rabbit hole than I knew. And I actually maybe even feel that my body was potentially harmed by this. My fertility might have been harmed by this. What do I do to heal? Where do I begin? Mm -hmm. So do with that what you will. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so obviously I resonate. I was in that position before too. So I just want to normalize that experience and even just give some hope like this isn't irreparable damage i don't believe because the human body is always trying to heal but if you feel like you've been damaged or your fertility has been set back by birth control i mean the first thing to do is to transition off and then learn how to track your cycle so usually we went on birth control because there were some symptoms present and those are typically going to come back when we come off of it because we didn't fix mm -hmm. them we just put a band-aid for years um, so we're just looking at them with curiosity and using it as feedback. And then we've got to work on the nutrient repletion part of that. And that's always where we would start. So a good nutrient dense animal based diet to cover our bases. So again, the nutrients most uh, depleted by the pill would be our B vitamins, mm -hmm. our antioxidants like zinc, selenium, vitamin C and E, uh, magnesium even as well. And we're just going to find those foods most abundantly in quality animal products. I love to see a little extra liver and gallbladder support post birth control because both of those organs work so hard when we're processing all the pill hormones. So that might look like bitters. It might look like mm. cutting alcohol out of your life. It might look like making sure we're drinking quality, clean water. It might look like um, things like milk thistle and stuff mm -hmm. we can sprinkle in. Um, and then lastly, it's just, you know, coming home to yourself learning how to uh, use fertility awareness method to track your cycle. So mm -hmm. we're looking at things like temperature and cervical fluid and position and just um, developing a skill set that we really should have been taught back in like sixth grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, rekindling that relationship back to yourself and the innate wisdom is is very powerful. And I'm going to guess there's a lot of crossover here, but I want to hear your take on this. How, how much of all of that that you just said now pulls into the equation of how you're applying your own philosophies and what you would teach other people about how to fuel themselves for a healthy pregnancy or even before pregnancy to become fertile enough yeah. to to hold life? Um, what What's some of the key concepts there? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely similar, right? Like, uh, having a healthy menstrual cycle is fertility. So our approach to restoring menstruation post birth control is the same as preparing for pregnancy. Mm. And I think it's important that we look at it like that because 
modern fertility care is the day of a positive pregnancy test is the day we start taking a prenatal mm. and it's the day we might change our lifestyle. But so much development happens so early on in pregnancy that if we wait until then, we've missed an opportunity to right. really set them up for success. So ideally, we've had at a minimum six months, if not 12 plus okay. of that nutrient restoration that we talked about and just really getting to know your cycle because that's how you're going to conceive successfully in a shorter amount of time. Do you think that if we took that approach more commonly, so let's say, you know, let's focus on six to 12 months of nutrient density and all of those things that you just said, that we would see um, a more natural restoration in the infertility crisis that we are on the precipice of? Yeah, 100%. We treat fertility like it's this inconvenience we can shut off for decades at a time and turn it on and expect it to be there. And it isn't, is what we're finding. So if we treated it like something that needed to be nourished and nurtured back, and we took an active role in that, and actually both partners would be part of this conversation of too, um, I think we would see that really turn itself around quickly. Mm -hmm. What would you say are the biggest contributors? You've alluded to some, we're going a bit deeper in what's contributing to rising levels of infertility currently. Yeah, so the birth control use is one, of course. Um, just a complete nutrient devoid diet that most modern humans in include these days, um, high stress lifestyle. We're just in a complete biological mismatch. Mm -hmm. You know, we're inside kind of in captivity all day and um, not connected with nature at all anymore, not connected with ourselves. And I think those three things together move us away from fertility. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, right. I, I, I really feel that a body that's really balanced and grounded and feels like it's in abundance is going to have a much easier time conceiving than one that feels like it's locked in scarcity, right? No nutrition, yeah. artificial lights, EMF, stress, jobs that we've got to do, things that we have to do. But I think there's probably a way that we've got to really start to prioritize these if possible, if we are to get pregnant. How was that journey for you? Did you have to overcome many of these things? Was it a consequence of being easier for you because you'd done years of rehabilitation at this point? Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely went through all of that stuff. It was just like nine to 10 yeah. years prior. Um, and that's an important thing to share, too, because we were able to conceive very quickly, mm -hmm. you know, when we wanted to, which I think is how it's designed. But it wasn't quick in the sense that I spent 10 years right. working on um, really getting into a good place with my health. And you know, we waited until our 30s to start a family. And I feel really good about that decision because me in my 20s was malnourished, mm -hmm. was um, completely disconnected from myself, was really wrapped up in like the diet and mm -hmm. industry of um, aesthetic faced or aesthetic facing decisions around food and exercise. and. Um, to my own detriment. So yeah, we spent many years preparing for it and then got really focused about a year prior Yeah, where we did, you know, some specific testing, got a little bit more on top of certain nutrients and worked on like the energetic and spiritual side of that too. Amazing. T tell us a little bit more about that, the, the specific test yeah. and the nutrients you focused on, how you guys did this consciously as a couple. Sure. So we did some blood work and an HTMA, which is a mm -hmm. hair tissue mineral analysis. And this is something that we do on every client in our practice. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because minerals tell us about the building blocks of our enzymes. And that's energy production. That's the state of our nervous system. And so I wanted to make sure that we were going into it, both of us, in tip-top nutrient shape, um, particularly me, but also you know my husband as well. And so we wanted to see how we were handling iron. We wanted to see how our thyroid function was, because mm -hmm. that takes such a big job during pregnancy. And so we did lab work about a year before we started trying, implemented some little changes to what we were doing, and then repeated them at the six-month mark and 
made sure everything was looking good. Um, on that front, really quickly, did anything surprise you? Because you're so clued up about all of this stuff. But sometimes I think without testing, some things can slip under the hood. Was there anything yeah. th- surprising on either yours or your partner's end? Um, on my end, I-, I always end up getting like personally called out by my HTMA testing because okay. it tells you about the state of your nervous system over the last three yeah. months. Okay. And it's something that I work on a lot. I know you and I talked about this a lot. The last time I was here with running a business and trying to keep hormones and fertility in mind. And so there were definite signs of like kind of teetering toward burnout again. And I was like, damn, like, yeah. <laughs> I've been working hard on this. Sucked in again. Yeah. So that was the biggest thing for me. Um, for my husband, there were, um, he had some kind of unusual results. He had really low copper in mm. the hair, which um, has implications in fertility and just overall health. Copper is such an energy mineral. I mean, we have it in every mitochondria. Right. And, um, big for connective tissue and just development. So he worked on that really hard. Mm-hmm. I worked on minerals and nervous system stuff and things looked much better. Beautiful. Yeah. That's fascinating from the nutritional standpoint. You said um, also just this uh, consciously choosing. What what was that like, the conversations of how you want to enter into mindful pregnancy and all the conversations that come thereafter? Yeah, we ha- I mean, we didn't know from the beginning of our marriage that we were for sure going to have kids. Yeah. It just kind of evolved over time. And at least personally, that was testament to just being more nourished and healed yeah. and being able to see that as a possibility for myself. But, you know, we decided that we definitely wanted to. We saw having kids as an additive experience, not a subtractive experience. Yes. And, you know, I just want to experience all that this life has to offer. And that just felt like something I didn't want to miss, yeah. um, you know, starting with the pregnancy and then birth and, of course, being a parent. But so we had a lot of conversations of what we wanted it to look like, how we want to raise them, um, what the intention is behind this, not just checking a box because we feel like this is our next step as a married couple. And then um, I read a couple interesting books. One of them was Spirit Babies, mm-hmm. which did, read did you guys read? Okay. Yeah. And if anyone listening is on a fertility journey that maybe is taking longer than you would like, I just think that's such a comforting read. But um, it's a lot about connecting energetically with the beings that you're calling in. And yes. um, we just really liked the meditations in there and mm-hmm. the idea of being able to call in the spirit that was waiting in the wing for us. So um, I just felt in several instances really connecting with that energy. Yeah. That's why I feel like it's a girl, but we'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really a fun thing to do as a yeah. couple too. And now you have this being inside of you growing. Mm-hmm. And um, we were talking off her a little bit about the the vision that you have, right, for pregnancy. And I know all of these things, <laughs> so I'm just going to smash it. And the notorious first trimester, how have you been navigating? Mm-hmm. You're 18 weeks along mm-hmm. at this point, right? But how were you navigating the early days of pregnancy in the first trimester? Yeah, that was humbling for, for me. <laughs> I thought with, with the prep work and the field that I work in and just the number of women that I've supported through that time that I just knew all the tricks and could, could fix it. I also had convinced myself I was going to, like, resolve first trimester nausea and like cure it you know um and i couldn't i felt horrible (laughs) um and thankfully you know on the scale of how severe that could be it wasn't the worst but i had like a good eight week stretch where i was nauseous Mm -hmm. all the time and so tired and um, i really didn't feel like myself it was hard to work um and i talk about nutrition all day so when i was like really averse to all foods it was it was rough but um, I think the biggest thing for me in that was it was exactly what I needed. I needed to be reminded that I don't know everything. I'm yeah. not in control of everything and that surrendering to it was the only way through it. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a recurring message in life in general, but it's mm-hmm. something that I really needed. And I can already see how that would prepare me for birth and motherhood too, just Absolutely. having to go through 
really uncomfortable time. Yeah, no doubt. What um what do you think? Because you obviously got a curious mind about trying to figure this stuff out as well. Yeah. What do you think is actually going on? Why do so many women struggle in the first trimester? Is it just because the body is like flipping upside down hormonally and stuff? What's ha- what's happening? Yeah. Do you think? I think that's part of it. I mean, the hormone levels of pregnancy are absolutely insane. It's like a day of hormone production in pregnancy is a year of hormone production not oh, pregnant. Wow. It's wild. That's crazy. And we feel it the most when it's changing rapidly, and that would be the first trimester. But I also think, you know, we have a tendency to try to carry on business as usual. Mm. And you're developing essentially a whole baby Mm -hmm. in the first trimester. It just grows from that point on. But all the main infrastructure is there. And like we should probably feel tired. We should probably slow down. We should probably do things differently. So I think that's probably why most women really struggle is they're not slowing down. They're Mm -hmm. not listening. They're trying to push through. They're holding themselves to the same standards of when they weren't pregnant before. And I know when I just honored the fact that my body was working really hard, it was uncharted territory for my body and me and just slowed down. Things got better. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, with that, I think you know the acknowledgement that yeah, you are growing a human. You mm-hmm. you literally are growing life, and it builds this whole thing. And it that has to come from something, right? It comes yeah. from your nutrient stores. It comes from the food that you're eating. It comes from micronutrients. Luckily, you know this stuff. What is some of the key things that really stand out from you? Like, how are you building the best diet for pregnancy? Yeah. What would you advise other people to really fuel themselves adequately through pregnancy? Yeah, protein is so important, um, and I think. That is under-consumed by women just as a whole. But during pregnancy, because we're developing a whole nother human and a whole nother organ, mm-hmm. and everything's growing and expanding, we need a lot of quality protein to, to handle that development. And I think that plays a big role in the blood sugar stability piece too, which some of the theories for that morning sickness is actually just blood sugar issues. Mm. And if we're not getting enough protein, we lack that stability. So I noticed personally that if I had protein forward meals, I could get ahead of that nauseousness. So it definitely nice. seemed to land. So I would say, you know, good quality animal protein. We don't want to add a lot of plant-based proteins that are so hard to extract nutrients from when digestion is maybe mm-hmm. already a little bit wonky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say this humbly because you don't always have all the choices in the world when you feel sick. Um, you have to get really creative with that. I was relying a lot on dairy. That always sounded okay. good. So I was drinking a lot of raw milk, eating cottage cheese. Um, what about the dangers of raw milk, though, for <laughs> oh pregnant ladies? Are you just or what's going on there? Yeah. See, I uh, want the nutrients that mm. are there, and it's sourced well. I have yeah. no concerns. Um, it's also something I had all the time before, so it wasn't new to me in pregnancy, but. Yeah, that's one of the many things that people can out things. about. I'll say just a, as a personal anecdote, I was talking to you off there a little bit that uh, we had a interesting contrast between my first and my second, um, a smaller baby and now a giant baby. And the one big difference <laughs> nutritionally that my wife Nicole made was she drank a boatload of raw milk mm-hmm. on the second pregnancy. Yeah. When when we had our, our first one, we didn't really have access to it. And when we did find it, it was maybe a gallon that was had to last us like a week and a half. So it may have been a glass or two. She was having a glass or two a day, every day. So yeah. very interesting though, because it's so nutrient dense, right? And I it think is. if you can sneak in liquid calories when yes. your body is averse to eating, that's oh, so beneficial. So beneficial. And just to like harp on raw milk again for a second with pregnancy in specifics um it's a big vitamin a in the retinol form source that is a huge nutrient for pregnancy um and one that's commonly deficient that's what we see like nationwide and in our clients too and it's protein carbs and fat together like you said it's it's calorie dense in a liquid vehicle if we're not eating enough at that time and the way that the fat 
molecules or fat globules are in unpasteurized, unhomogenized milk mean that we don't need bile in order to incorporate Mm. that fat. And the gallbladder works hard and is at a detriment during pregnancy because of those big changes in hormones. So sometimes fat absorption is impaired. Interesting. And raw milk would be a way to get some good fats and some fat-soluble vitamins that don't rely on a gallbladder that might not be functioning optimally. Yeah. Another another kind of ode to pregnancy is hard enough. Make it easier on yourself. Choose the things that your body knows what to do with, easily digest them. But you mentioned something there, and this is our audience pretty well educated on this, but I want to talk to you about it because you mentioned vitamin A and then yeah. that enters into, okay, well, what's high in vitamin A? And we talk about liver and there's a there's a fear around liver consumption and excess vitamin A consumption yeah. during pregnancy. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think if we look at any of the research that that fear came from, it was done on synthetic vitamin A, which is very different. Um, we're talking about naturally occurring vitamin A and retinol specifically is what we care about here because not everybody, in fact, most people don't convert beta carotene to retinol mm-hmm. very well. Um, and gosh, I might not get this stat correct, but it's something like 1.5% of infants in the U.S. are born retinol sufficient. Mm. Like It was less than two. It's Tiny. very small. Yeah. yeah. And so the vitamin A status of the mom is a big deal. Um, it's hard to get it from beta carotene or plant sources and convert it over well. And when we try to get retinol from food, like liver being a really good example, or even raw milk, um, it's pretty rate limited by taste. Like yeah, we're not right. gonna eat six livers in a day. No. We're not gonna drink a gallon of raw milk a day. Maybe, I mean. Cade might, but. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it tastes good. That one might be a slippery slope, but um, I think we've got built in ways to calibrate this and the studies are not we can't go off of that. It's not the same. It's yeah. apples to oranges, synthetic to real. And um, I'm not concerned about the amount we'd be getting from real food. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I like this point of synthetic to real, because in that arena, in your opinion, how rubbish are regular prenatal vitamins? Yeah, they're not good. They're not good. There are a couple on the market now that I, I do recommend in cases where a client really wants a prenatal or it's going to make life easier for them than kind of piecemealing it together. But um, one of my biggest complaints about prenatals and why I'm not taking a traditional prenatal myself is that it's still synthetic vitamin A. Mm-hmm. And that retinol is really important to me and development and baby. So we're doing it different. Yeah. What What is that? What's different? You're piecemealing it together. Yeah. I know you were saying you've used some heart and soil. <laughs> yeah. What else is like, to tell me about how you're structuring your prenatal. Yeah. So we look at, you know, a typical well-formulated prenatal and some prenatal nutrition research to outline some of the key nutrients and uh, rough amounts I'm trying to get. And then I'm looking at like the beef organs is one that I take every single day because I want the variety from that. Um, and then we're taking iodine, Um, That's something I wanted in a much higher quantity than prenatals provide based on my understanding of the research and my own labs. Is that for the thyroid support? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Thyroid and brain. There's some really Mm. interesting like baby IQ iodine status. Um, So that was an important one for me. Um, I'm taking cod liver oil for some um, omega-3s and DHA. And then I'm taking um, taurine and choline. So this is part gallbladder TLC um, and part choline we need for baby development too. And then really looking to get my B vitamins from food. And this is from personal experience of knowing I don't do great with synthetic B vitamins that are really high dose in supplements. So I'm getting some of it from the beef organs, getting some of it from bee pollen, um, getting some of it from like I brought in um, beans were not something that were really Mm -hmm. 
abundant in my diet and neither were greens for mm -hmm. a long time, but brought both of those back in during pregnancy in a well-prepared form yeah. so I could get some more folate from them. That's cool. It sounds very similar to what what my wife did too. Um, she did the beef organs from yeah. Heart and Soil. She did a couple of different blends. Um, she did do a kind of like micro slash maintenance dose of Seeking Health, which was one of the ones that is one. on the better side of things. And um, very similar things to you. Um, I'm interested by the iodine for the brain because mm. you hear it so much in one of the things that pregnant women talk about all the time is baby brain. Yeah. Have you been experiencing <laughs> any baby brain or you think the iodine is keeping you sharp? I don't know. I think there <laughs> I think there have been a couple incidences, schedule mishaps and things yeah. like that where I'm like, mm, this is we're gonna call this baby brain. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll let you know after. We'll get you some mood memory and brain too. We'll actually get some yeah. brain in there and yeah. see how that goes. So, you know, thinking about this um, preparation of pregnancy and birth holistically for you, nailing the nutrition, moving yep. forward, full steam ahead. The food aversions are gone, right? So They're you can gone. get back to all it's your great. favorites. Yeah. yeah. What's back on the menu? What was the most excited thing you were psyched to be excited about again? Oh, gosh, just like normal proteins. This yeah. was the thing. I was so stressed knowing how important protein was, but my options were so few because everything just sounded horrible. Mm -hmm. So now like the full spread of different meats and bringing organ meat back in the diet, um, just like normal looking meals. I was just eating some very random, bizarre things yeah. <laughs> for a couple of months. Yeah, beautiful. So nothing even that cool. I've had no fun cravings. Um, I hope at some point I have to send my husband out at like 2 a.m. to get like one random thing for me, but yeah. that, it hasn't happened. <laughs> okay, we'll see. It might come on. Um, Nicole had a few weird ones, uh, cream cheese and oh, yeah. some other weird things, but... How are you preparing for um, birth more holistically now? So uh, thinking anything, wherever you want to take this, the actual birth in process, how you are going to maybe slow down business towards mm -hmm. that time? What are you doing from a, a mental, emotional and spiritual thing to keep yourself grounded and positive yeah. and re rehearsing this? What, what, what stands out for you? Yeah, um, I read a couple of books. I read many books in the process of preparing for conception and early on just my brain likes information yeah. and i've never done this before so i want to know like how does this all work what what can i expect um and then i made a decision that i needed to stop doing that mm. and create space to just decide what i want things to be like and what lands for me um we're choosing to do a home birth so we did find a great midwife and doula so i feel really good about Amazing. the birth team and they're aligned in our vision of just having a really undisturbed yeah. birth um, and I look forward to it as an opportunity to like really embody surrender. Yeah, yeah. And um, like, I know it'll be such a personal and spiritual growth experience. So I'm just excited. Um, I have respect, like healthy respect for it. I've yes. not done it before. I know it will be intense, but um, I'm very excited. I'm doing um, birth fit programming, okay. which is um, like strength and conditioning specific to awesome. pregnancy. So a lot of like pelvic floor stuff involved in that. Um, it's doing like a lot of squats, a lot of good mobility work leading up into uh, labor and delivery. And then there'll be some postpartum training after that too, which is great. Um, routine chiropractic care, going to see a pelvic floor PT. So just trying to keep like my physical body in Love as it. good a shape as possible because I mean, you probably know this better than anyone at this point, but birth is so athletic. It is, yeah. <laughs> and um, I just want to stay active and mobile and then really working on like the mindset piece of just allowing and trusting myself. So got some good birth affirmations that I go through awesome. each day. And I think I'll probably build on that as time goes on. Good. And a good playlist. Oh, yeah, I know. 
good players. That'll be big. No, it's so it's so true what you said about it almost seeming like an athletic endeavor because you know, I pride myself on being a bit of a macho guy and you know being able to suffer at CrossFit or whatever. And then watching my wife go through that, I'm like, oh, I'm such a little bitch. I could never do that, you know. And it's so empowering. It's so humbling. It's she says transformed on the other side of it completely. Just an, an incredible experience, and it sounds like you're doing all of the right things. But obviously, you have to think about that. You have to consciously architect something like a home birth to disconnect a little bit from mm-hmm. the classic medical birthing system. Um, I know you're not an expert in this field necessarily, but what, what, as you think about this stuff, you're also thinking about what you don't want for pregnancy. And yeah. hopefully, in an ideal world, you can have a natural vaginal birth. But we yep. see an increase in rate of cesarean sections yeah. a lot, and maybe an over intervention over medicalization what do you think is going on there as we see these trends continue to rise yeah um i think it's a couple things i think healthcare is a business too so we've got that to consider um and it's a lot more convenient for the schedule if things are planned and it's like a scheduled c-section or things are taking too long we're going to have a c-section or things are taking too long we're going to add pitocin and speed this along so there's a lot of just we've lost that I don't know what the right word would be, but respect for the birth yeah. process and and just how special and reverent we should be about it. And instead, we're trying to keep it to a timeline that serves other professionals. Um, and then I think we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, but there's a lot unknown and it's unpredictable and things can go wrong in birth. I mean, they can in every avenue yes. of life, but birth is something that we really focus on being kind of scary. And so we've created opportunities to test everything yeah. at like weekly intervals. And the idea somehow was sold that if we can test for it, we can get rid of that anxiety of not knowing everything. And the truth is not all of these tests are super accurate. Right? Um, they're not actually gonna change anything. They might just That's reduce right. your options. So when we were deciding what we did and didn't want to do, which we're basically not doing anything, um, it was just, it's not adding anything to the experience for us. And it can't absolve us of responsibility and it can't mitigate risk. Yes. So, you know, we're just going to move forward and trust ourselves with that. I love that. It is the ultimate surrender experiment. You've got to have an awful lot of trust. And you're right. If we over test and if we go looking for problems, we'll find them. Exactly. You know, and not only are these things not necessarily as effective as they are commonly touted or so important that it's going to do this, that, and the yeah. other, but there, there could potentially be harms too. Have you done any digging on potentially overuse of things like ultrasound radiation? Yeah. yeah um, not a ton, but enough that made us not want to. Yeah. And um, I've done some kind of rabbit holes on some of the like early genetic screens and things where um, it's quite common for that to come back inaccurate. Yes. And you can make decisions that alter the course of that whole pregnancy based off tests that aren't accurate. So um, it just didn't, it didn't make sense for us to do it. It was just going to add worry at best or change the course of the birth at worst and just didn't make sense yeah now we start to learn more from you know these uh, amazing evolutionary psychologists i'm thinking of uh, of research that shows as well that just knowing that information um, puts you in a state of stress that you right. carry then the whole pregnancy and that that baby doesn't get off scot-free for that it feels that these epigenetic yeah. changes are happening as soon as the baby's developing inside of you it's absorbing these these signals and things from yeah. your nervous system and you have to ask the question everybody's got to make the best decision for themselves but if this is just going to become an increased source of stress and that's yeah. going to have you have the horrible stressful what if doom and gloom pregnancy and and it might not even be true and it might not even right. be accurate. It's, it's a lot to figure out though. But I think these questions are the kind of questions that hopefully a more conscious way of birthing and, and people like yourself start to ask. And I think it's really important. 
Yeah, I agree. And, and I don't think there is a right or wrong way to go about exactly. this. But the only thing that makes it right or wrong for you is that you feel strongly that this is the right course of action. So as long as we're asking questions and we're doing things based off of what we believe to be the best choice versus what someone else believes, then I think we can't do wrong. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. I think that's that's the goal of these conversations is to never say, you know, to make anybody feel guilty right. or blame and shame. It's just that there are alternative paths and there's different ways of doing it. And you've got to get really right in here with yourself. And like we were saying, sometimes that's going to trigger people. Sometimes mm -hmm. that's going to poke old wounds. Sometimes your family are going to say, you are crazy. What are you doing? What do you mean you're not going to the hospital? But you've got to know what you want, what your partner wants and how you want to bring this baby into the world. And I think that's more important than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And even just a reminder that it is a continued conscious effort to come back to that, because I think I also had the misconception that I was going to be really confident in all these decisions mm -hmm. at every point. And I had moments in the first trimester where I was like, oh, wait, like maybe we should be getting it. Like maybe we need to look at this. And then I had to check in with where that fear was coming from yeah. and keep choosing to come back to trusting myself. But um, I just want to share that in case anybody's had doubts along the way that yeah. it's just you don't arrive at trusting your intuition and stay there you just continue to choose to be there so a very important point yeah <laughs> and and with that fear i think you know it's just so much of what we do see even if it's just in popular media what we see of childbirth is like this woman screaming in <laughs> agony and it's like it's just crazy and there's always people rushing around and you know I've had the personal experience of witnessing a C-section with my wife and then a, you know, a free birth at home. And the difference of the energy is, is, is quite amazing. But I think that's I a lot that. of where that fear comes from, right? Because you only really hear the crazy stories. Yeah. You don't hear the, you know, the blissful, amazing births that much. So I think we are programmed in a way to have so much fear and you have to just keep finding that center within yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So not, not getting too far ahead of ourselves, but I know you're al already thinking about this too, like postpartum recovery, like mm -hmm. you were saying, pelvic yeah. floor exercise and things like that from a nutritional standpoint, because I've heard different things, but I've heard um, pretty reputable people say it can take up to a couple of years to mm -hmm. for nutrient repletion after yeah. giving birth, building a baby, and then in particular, if you breastfeed thereafter, which I'm yeah. sure you're planning on doing. So yeah. what are some of the things to really focus on there from a postpartum standpoint? Yeah, so... Your baby will get the nutrients they need from your breast breast milk mm -hmm. at your expense. So if your diet is not providing these raw materials, we start breaking down bone to make sure that it's there. And this is a big part of why I think um, issues postpartum are so common and just women don't feel like they ever get back to that same yeah. level of vitality. So I'm going in expecting to eat a lot more. You know, breastfeeding is a high calorie burned yeah. experience. Yeah, it is. And then to really be focusing on things like extra minerals. So calcium is top of mind. That's one of the ones that um, is pretty abundant in breast mm -hmm. milk. And again, we'll break down bone to mm -hmm. make sure the baby has that. Um, and then I'm just continuing my same prenatal nutrition plan after. And that's another thing that we see in our clients is, you know, positive pregnancy test, boom, start prenatal. Mm -hmm. Deliver baby, stop prenatal. Yeah. But the nutrient, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the nutrient demands actually only increase after yes. delivery is, if you're going to be breastfeeding. So I would, I, I personally plan to continue that same level of support for at least a year after. Yeah. Um, it's kind of been my norm. I mean, we're calling it the prenatal, but I've been taking that for a long time. Yeah. So um, just kind of ongoing nutrient support. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. And because we're on the topic of, of breast milk, there's, you know, that can get controversial in and of itself, like everything else with pregnancy, right? Like fed is best versus breast is best. And right. again, not here to shame, but just 
objectively speaking, breast milk is a bloody miracle. The way right? it can just pick up on things and produce different cytokines. If the baby bangs his head, the breast milk changes. If you, the mama kisses the baby's mouth, it picks up on bacteria and, ad and adjusts the immunoglobulins. Like it, absolutely fascinating. You're never going to be able to replace that in formula. But what I'm interested in is the vast majority of women do breastfeed uh, when they first give birth. It's like 85% they attempt to, but by one year, it's less than a third. So mm. the drop off is astronomical. And I think yeah. there's a new number of things going on here from the time commitment and stuff, but I'm sure like nutrients and mm -hmm. electrolytes and stuff. What are, what yeah. do you think about there in terms of a woman successfully, hopefully breastfeeding? Yeah. I mean, the, the nutrient stuff is a big deal and just energy availability. Um, it's such an energy demand on the body to be like a 24 hour kitchen for a baby. Yeah. So if we're not eating enough or we just kind of lose vigilance on that, we're going to see milk supply dwindle. And then the same thing with stress. So when the body doesn't feel safe, we're no longer prioritizing things that aren't essential for our survival. So whether that's not having support that you need postpartum, whether it's um, going back to work maybe sooner than you felt ready for, um, Maybe that's just life circumstances. There are yeah. a lot of reasons for stress, uh, sleep deprivation being a really common one at that time. But all of mm. those things would work against milk supply. And once that starts to dwindle, it can be hard to recover from. Um, and then it just becomes a stressful thing. And then that adds to it too. So I think, yeah, the nutrient intake of our food, even the total amount, and then looking at um, the state of the nervous system and stress overall. Yeah. And the, the nutrient thing as well, not not just for the mother to be able to produce and put out all of that, because you said it's like it's very kind of extractive, but there is some ties potentially to the formation of the child's face and yep. the long and tip tie, uh, lip ties, which is going to yeah. inter interfere with potentially a good latch, which could be really yes. painful for mom. Baby doesn't like it. They're getting gassy. So it's a it's quite a rabbit hole. But I think it's yeah. another testament to really, really having to think consciously about this nutritional piece because you're potentially also going to influence that, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Gosh, that's a deep rabbit hole that we've mm -hmm. been down. I think we talked about it a little bit last yeah, time I was bit. here. I had a tongue tie release done you since did? I last saw okay. you. Um, so I will say doing that in your 30s, not a good not time. Not ideal. <laughs> uh, so ideally, you know, finding that in your kid very early on or setting them up for really good like jaw and palate development mm -hmm. and breastfeeding is how we do that. Right. Um, and, you know, of course, when we introduce food, making sure they're having foods that they're actually having to chew. And yes. that's a thing for adults as well. But there's a lot that we can do or a lot that goes into breastfeeding above and beyond just feeding them. Um, and that palate and jaw development is a big, a big yeah. part of it. It's top of mind for us after this whole saga of tongue tie stuff. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Well, I had a tongue tie with my first and we got it yeah. reversed when he was like maybe 18 months okay. and even that felt a little late because i think if you identify and we didn't know we actually did yeah. see a lactation consultant she was like no there's no tongue tie mm -hmm. that it turned out he had pretty severe top mm -hmm. and bottom and lip and it was it was bad because you have okay. to do the stretches every four hours that means you're waking them up to stretch and yeah. you now know the pain of yeah. that i can't imagine that's much fun <laughs> no it really wasn't so luckily it doesn't look like our new guy has one which is great that's and there great. was you know a little bit more focus on certain you know minerals and certain supplements mm -hmm. which could potentially help but there's just there's a whole host of things that can come up here and make the, these these things um you know problematic definitely yeah another thing that we we spoke about a lot on the, on the last call and i think people th found very valuable was like squaring the circle of um, masculine and feminine dynamics, yeah. you know, how to really be in your feminine, innate masculine world. Like you was alluding to a few minutes ago, this maybe the increase in C-sections is just like, this is taking too long and it's yeah. easier to predict. And if it's on a schedule, that's a very kind of like, it's this modern kind of world that just everything has to be, you know, fast and we have to yeah. get back to work really quickly. How are you, um, the, 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 
the meme, I guess, is trad wife. How do you feel about <laughs> being a trad wife, slow living? How are you going to find that? How are you finding that pregnancy is putting you deeper into this, like really feminine, nurturing yeah. energy while still running a business and still doing all of that stuff? Yeah, um, it's been, again, a great journey for me. It's exactly what I've needed. So it's something that had been top of mind for a while and I've been working on you know, how to run a business without being in the masculine all the time because it wasn't doing me good physically or mentally either. And I think pregnancy has forced me to slow down. And there were certain things in business that I really was holding on to and not delegating. And then once that first trimester, um, feeling like trash all the time hit, I was like, well, these are not mine anymore. Mm -hmm. So we've really spent a lot of time like building a team and delegating things and planning for how I want maternity leave to be and yeah. how I want to show up as a mom after that and what it could look like to still have the same outputs in the business, but not all of it coming from me. Yeah. Um, and then just kind of slowing my pace way down. I think my whole life, I think society-wide, we probably all relate to this, but just rushing from one thing to the next and you accomplish a goal and it's like, maybe it was celebrated, but you were quickly looking at the next thing that you needed to accomplish. And this was the first year where I didn't set that type of goal for yeah. business or life. It was like, how do I want to feel going into this? How do I want to feel at the end of the year? And then making decisions based off of that. And maybe there'll other be seasons down the road mm -hmm. where I'm back to more um, targeted goals. But now it was more like, how is my life going to be versus what boxes am I checking? And yeah. that has felt so different. And the pace has been slower. And um, this is probably the least stressed I've been with work in the eight years of owning a business. So it's been nice. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's kind of like a a training camp in the slowing down sense, right? Because right? it's getting you ready. You're not you're, in those early days of motherhood and those early months and even, you know, the first year or two, it, it's slower. You know, you're if you're planning on breastfeeding, it's a lot yeah. of skin to skin. It's a lot of you're on baby schedule. There's not a lot of rushing around and hustling yeah. and bustling. And I think getting yourself ready for that now energetically with work and things like that is really important. It's taken you, um, like you said, it's taken you a while to arrive at mm. the readiness for this, not just physically, yep. but spiritually, emotionally, etc. But that raises an interesting point as well, because then you're a little bit older. Mm -hmm. And in our culture, we treat birth after pregnancy <laughs> like you're all geriatrics yeah, and it's crazy. How do you how do you respond to that? How do you feel about that? Like an, an, an aging pregnancy mm. and population? Yeah, I just... I have no concerns about that personally. And I just think, again, if I look at myself 10 years ago, I was not ready on any level to be a mom. Um, I feel so much better prepared nutritionally, physically, emotionally, spiritually now. Um, and it feels like the responsible move yeah. to bring a child in here where I feel really ready to show up the way I want to. Um, so I just, I don't subscribe to that belief. Um, I just think I just think we undercut what the human body is capable of and we take the sanctity out of everything. And um, I really believe that if you can get pregnant, you were meant to do that right Absolutely. now. It's not flawed, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And especially with knowing what you know, and if your body can get pregnant and you can maintain the healthy pregnancy, you keep doing it for as long as your body can do that. Right. And there's, you know, there's popular figures in this space. Uh, Yolandi Clark is one yes. of the Free Birth Society, 43 years old, just gave birth to a 10th child. I, know. I have a client right now that's 40 and just got pregnant naturally. It's amazing. My so wife cool. is 34. So just, this age is just a number thing really is true. I think if your body's healthy and thriving, it can it can continue having children, which is exciting. I agree. And I think there's got to be some aging benefits to that. If you think about yeah. all the progesterone exposure during pregnancy and you get a little bit of a pause from the normal cycling of hormones and you just get a lot of progesterone. And I just think of progesterone as more of like a youthful, 
youthful feminine hormone and mm. there's probably something to that. All the women that I look at, like Yolandi being an example, which her book that she just put out called Portal is really good. Yeah. Um, maybe my favorite on the whole like, She's amazing. pregnancy uh, prep journey, but they just have so much vibrance. Um, these women that have had many, many kids. Yeah. And I mean, maybe they're just on their toes because they've got all these little right. ones to keep up with. But I think there's something to the the hormone bath that you get. Yeah. Speaking of people like Yolande and um, these mentors, the books, the education, um, you did say something a few minutes ago, which I thought was was really profound too, that there's a certain point where you have to stop consuming and you have to start trusting. But that's on the foundation of also, you you already have a lot of knowledge and at a certain point you're saturated, right? And yeah. there's not much room and it's more about trust and surrender. But what resources would you point women to who are expecting or trying to get pregnant, like from the nutritional to the spiritual to all of it? What What's some of the things yeah. that you've leaned into and been valuable for you? Yeah, from the nutrition side, um, Lily Nichols is a so good. fellow dietitian and yeah. wrote Real Food for Pregnancy. Really good read. She just did the legwork for combing through She's so good. all of the research that was really flawed. Um, and if you are afraid of the vitamin A thing, read that <laughs> read that book. You'll understand why you don't need to be. So her book would be a great one. It's a good resource to have. I pretty much send it to any mm -hmm. friend that has news that they're pregnant. And then Deep Nutrition by Kate Shanahan would be another really good read because that goes a little bit farther than the nutrients into the development and mm. like facial structures mm -hmm. and stuff. It's really cool. Um, I love Ina Mae Gaskin's books. Mm -hmm. um, we were just talking about that before we started recording, but the um, Guide to Childbirth is a good resource. If you just want to learn start to finish, what can I expect? What's happening in my body? Yeah. Because um, for me, that information is helpful for trusting the process because it's so divinely created there are there are no flaws there and there are a ton of birth stories in that book yeah. so it's a great one love that one and then portal by yolani norris clark is a great one and that gets into not just the birth aspect but also the spiritual and energetic yeah. piece of it too and i was called out like in the very best way <laughs> by that book because it talks a lot about the victim consciousness that we a lot of times unknowingly subscribe to especially in the realm of birth but it had me evaluating things elsewhere in my life. Um, so that one was great too. Yeah, I can feel that. I think that the nutritional stuff is so vital, the the health, the vibrancy, your lifestyle, your light diet, your ground and your stress management. Yeah. It's all so, so important. But I think potentially having watched my wife go through this, the biggest shift and the biggest training that must happen is the one that goes on between the ears and, and in your mm -hmm. heart, you know, that, that trust and, you know, I think the story aspect to it is important, you know, reading other people's stories and yeah. eventually getting to the point where once you've read a dozen of those, it finally clicks like, I can do this too. Mm -hmm. These women aren't special. They're no different than I am. We've done this forever. We can yeah. do this and we can do this however the hell we damn well please. Mm -hmm. Yeah, none of us would be here if we couldn't, so... We have proof. <laughs> we have proof. We have proof. I love it. Um, we, we Coming off the pregnancy topic for a minute, because I'm just fascinated by the growing number of women I hear talk about thyroid concerns. Yeah. And it just seems to happen so often now. Everybody's battling thyroid. What's yeah. what? Why is this happening so often, in particular for women? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because this is one of my favorite things. This is a good 90% of our clients okay, have great. thyroid stuff going on. And when we look at infertility, thyroid issues are pretty high on that list of reasons why. And I think there's a couple things. I think the um, kind of growing up with the exposure to be as thin as possible at all costs, like eating to be a certain size and exercising to be a certain size instead of eating to fuel yourself or exercising to have more vitality was part of it because 
you know, the particularly female physiology is rooted in safety. And if energy availability is low, we're going to slow the metabolism down so we don't burn through the resources that we have. And we see this in studies that look at starvation where thyroid function will ratchet down mm. as intake goes down. Makes sense. Um, it's not a flaw. It's actually great that the body does this so that we could get through extended periods of time with low intake and not die. Um, but if we are not eating enough and we haven't been for decades, we're going to have suboptimal mm -hmm. thyroid function. Um, and then there's a couple really important nutrients for the production, conversion, and uptake of thyroid hormone that are pretty absent. Vitamin A is one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, magnesium and sodium are part of how we even get iodine to the thyroid. Mm. Um, copper plays a big role in this too, iodine and selenium. Um, those are just not abundant foods in the standard American diet. And then we get a lot of halogen exposure. So this would be fluoride, chlorine, mm. bromine. So we've got a lot of bromine in our like processed um, like carb foods, processed breads and pastries and such. We've got a lot of chlorine and fluoride in our water. And those take the place of iodine receptors in the body. Mm. And so we have to have iodine to manufacture thyroid hormone. And if we are missing it because we have halogens on the receptors, then we just can't make enough. Um, so we've got a couple different areas working against the thyroid. And I think that's why, I mean, most people have suboptimal thyroid function, even if it's not clinically mm -hmm. significant. Yeah, that's fascinating. We've talked about a few of the foods that I'm sure would be really helpful here, like yeah. organs and mm -hmm. raw milk. And what are some of the things that you're looking at? Because magnesium, very hard to come by in food, yeah, right? So I are you know. looking at supplements for that for the most part? Yeah. And I wish, I wish <laughs> we could get by with this from, yeah. from food. Um, topical sources are nice, like Epsom yeah. salt baths, lotions and sprays, but typically we are adding a supplement. Um, and modern humans have a greater stress load typically, and we burn through magnesium under stress. Mm -hmm. So we typically need to compensate for that. And then for iodine, you know, we do get some iodine in dairy, um, a relatively small amount, and it really depends on where those cows were grazing. But um, seaweed would be another option, mm -hmm. or kelp flakes. Um, I do choose to supplement it just to get to the dose I'm looking for. I'd be eating more seaweed than I care to. Yeah. Um, but bringing that in, bringing some seafood in. That's usually a liquid, right? <laughs> Is it a liquid drop of Lugol's iodine? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. a great one. Yeah. And I like liquid because then you can titrate the dose. Right, right. And then you mentioned these environmental toxins too, yeah. the fluoride, the chlorine. Have you done a dive on kind of the hormonal impacts of things like microplastics, forever mm, chemicals? Yeah. What's the story there? Yeah. Um, I mean, our water is kind of scary here <laughs> and we're getting exposed to a lot of stuff, halogens being just one piece of that. And yeah, these forever chemicals and microplastics are um, endocrine disruptors. So they're coming in and staying in the body and a lot of times act like estrogen. So we tend to be more estrogen dominant as a society now than um, progesterone rich. And that's just adding to that burden. And I don't think we fully understand the implications of it or how to successfully remove things like that from the body. Um, so really getting on top of water quality would be a high order of, of priority, whether mm -hmm. that's, you know, a countertop filter or something mm -hmm. that you install. Um, I would love to get a whole house filter going on. That's kind of our next step here, but yeah. definitely your drinking water um, and you can do a shower head filter as well. Pretty inexpensively. Yeah, I think stopping the stuff coming in is massive, right? Mm -hmm. So um, also supporting your body with the micronutrients that yeah. are going to get all kinds of out of whack or used up. What's your thoughts on like detoxing? Is mm -hmm. What's healthy ways to, can the body detox a lot of these things? I know some of them, it sounds scary, right? Forever know, chemicals, right? you've got them. Like, <laughs> how do we support our detox pathways? What are some yeah. of the things that can be really helpful there? 
Yeah. So we think about our liver first and foremost with detox. That's where these toxins and compounds are getting modified so that they can get excreted. But after that, we have to have consistent bowel movements. So this is like the non-sexy version of yeah. detox, but we have to have like one to three great bowel movements a day. Okay. And if we're not, then we got to troubleshoot that. Mm. And it's usually a hydration mineral thing or potentially the types of foods that we're eating. But if we're not taking the trash out where it doesn't matter the amount of liver cleanses or things you decide to do, it's staying. Um, and then supporting the liver, we touched on a little bit with the birth control stuff, but I'd be thinking about like bitter compounds in your food, be thinking about protein. Um, that second step of detox in the liver is totally amino acid dependent. And when we think about our typical liver detoxes and cleanses, it's like juices <laughs> and there's no protein there. All we did was ramp up the first step with no support for the mm -hmm. second. So good protein, good bitters, um, things like milk thistle can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Love um, infrared sauna as a way awesome. to help with detoxification. Um, exercise, like breathing correctly, is actually a form of detoxification. Um, lymphatic drainage would be another one too, whether that's something that you see somebody for or just dry brushing at yeah. home. Um, just thinking about all of our elimination pathways, not just the liver, which I Love think it. is the one that gets focused on. Yeah. And I just learned about, um, jumping on a trampoline oh, for your yeah. lymph and all of that yeah. stuff. I got my, my son a trampoline and now I'm jumping on, I'm like, yeah, let's go lymph. <laughs> it's That's great. Cool. <laughs> um, you, you, we, we re, we re came back full circle to the contraception story. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm reminded now of a bunch of comments I got when, when the podcast episode went out, um, for the people, a lot in support, a lot of, wow, that's really surprising. And then a lot doubling down and saying, but I need the yeah. pill because of, PCOS, endometriosis, other things like that. You've probably worked with people with those conditions. Yep. Is there a is there hope for them, or, or are they dependent on the pill? There's absolutely hope for them, but they have to decide that that's possible, and and that's the hard part. And I, it's always taken really offensively when I say stuff like that, but I mean it in like the most positive, I believe, right. in you way. Um, we see those types of conditions resolve all the time. Um, the body really is always trying to do that for you. And sometimes it takes a little extra TLC, but it is so possible. Um, and I believe that everybody's fundamental state is balanced and healed. Um, and that it's not a life sentence that requires a pharmaceutical to mask. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of layers to that, that I think are very important because you are right if you believe you can. Exactly. When you believe you can, you will be right too. But maybe if you're approaching it from the standard advice lens, then yeah, you're going to need this for the rest of your life. But yeah. what if you take this more functional approach? What if you take this more root cause issue? Mm -hmm. What if we actually get under the hood and ask why is this going on in the first place? Which to my knowledge doesn't seem to be going on very well in the standard medical care. Yeah, because it takes time mm. and there's nothing patentable about it and there's nothing that you can really prescribe mm -hmm. for it. So I don't think we'll ever really see it show up in that setting. And I also think it's why it's less appealing. And as someone that was on birth control for about a decade and went on it because of symptoms, I can understand that urgency to get out of that discomfort. And it's like presented on this gold platter as today you will have relief of your symptoms not six months from now you'll have relief yeah. so i can understand that um and i think it's just a matter of how we're looking at it and the longevity that we see um is this a decision we're making for today or for the future and with women's health in particular it's a decision we're making for our fertility um, long term yeah it's good i i, I 
it makes a lot more sense to me. I was I was stumped by a couple of those questions because it was above my pay grade. I don't know, but it didn't make sense to me that these people were going to be dependent on hormonal birth control forever to mask a symptom that I was probably confident arose because we live in a sick culture and right. sick society and epigenetics and so on. So next time somebody says me that, I'll be like, oh, watch Radical Health Radio and maybe yeah. there's an alternative viewpoint. Um, what else are you doing aside from the stuff we've covered maybe a bit more like lifestyle oriented or habit based what's like a day in the life of pregnant Kaylee now how are you really <laughs> nourishing yourself and what are you doing yeah um I am doing birth fit programming which we were talking about a little bit before so the founders here in she's in Wimberley Lindsay Cantu um and this is strength and conditioning designed for each trimester of pregnancy and then postpartum so that's been great movement and it feels a little bit like you're getting to train for birth, which feels good for my yeah. former athlete brain, but it's a lot of um, like breath work and mobility and surrender and just love it. Feeling, like, feeling like your body is really moving well going into birth. So I do that in the morning, which feels good. Um, try to get out and see the sun in the morning too, which we're like just hitting this brief window of cold weather here yeah. in Texas. So we'll see how this goes the next couple of days, but I like to get out in the morning, walk the dog, uh, let the chickens out that kind of stuff um and then with work it's just moving at such a slower pace now and really leaning on a great team that we've built over the years so that's just i can't even tell you how much more enjoyable mm -hmm. than when i used to feel like i was running around a million miles an hour um and then just spending a lot of time with my husband and trying to get our solo time in before we bring another yeah. family member in so um, we chose to not travel for the holidays at all. And it was just us and just had like such a nice time relaxing. So yeah. I'm mostly just moving slow, I'm, like Good. reading and doing puzzles and old old lady stuff. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're entering our old lady era. I like yeah. it. It's reminded me as well of when I hear you talk about how you've structured this team around you and how um, that's so much more helpful. It reminds me of another facet of pregnancy and childbirth. This like it, it takes a village, mm -hmm. you know, and so often we're just this lone ranger and it's like no nobody can do it like me so i'm going to do it all and all of a sudden you just you just burned out and motherhood is a great example of that too you know you look ancestrally or you look at any kind of hunter gatherer tribes that still exist there is there is a lot of sharing of the responsibilities yeah. you're always going to be mom you're the one that's going to breastfeed but the baby's going to change ha hands a lot over the day and there's just a lot of support to help and i think a lot of people struggle with that today because it's so often yeah. not the case mm -hmm. um are you are you thinking about that are you lucky enough to have good support systems around are you going to fly mama in or anything <laughs> like that what's going on yeah so we don't have any family that lives any re remotely close to us um but my mom will come out for okay, maybe a couple of weeks after she still works so it won't be extended yeah. but my mother-in-law um is available to really come out and help as much as we want her to. so Beautiful. that's amazing and then you know we've got really great friendships in the area a lot of them are in the same season of life so i think um we've been able to support them as they've brought newborns in and i know the favor will be returned so yeah. nice meal trains um emotional support advice the meals yeah the meals i tell you that was a godsend people were cooking us all kinds of stuff and just so come nice. and put them in our freezer and if you need <laughs> babysitters or support we've got about a dozen fangirls here at, at hq that would come yeah. and help out so i think you'll be all right i think you've got a good crew behind <laughs> you 
Um, this, again, like the first episode, just an absolute delight. I just love your insights and how well you articulate. And it's so clean and clear. And I think um, it's really important. It's really empowering for women to hear this. So thank you for coming on again. I know we will run it back again. We'll do a hat trick. It'll probably be after the oh, baby, yeah. which will be cool because we'll get to hear that whole story and stuff too. But before I you know, cut you loose, I just want to offer you the space and time to tell people where to go to follow you or if there's anything on your heart and mind that you want to share today, the floor is sure. yours. Yeah, thank you so much for having me back. That means a lot and it's always fun for me too. But um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. It's at Kaylee R-D, K-A-E-L-Y-R-D. And my website is the same name. So you'll see a lot of free educational resources on there and then ways to work with my team and I and in different capacities if you're looking for help. Um, we don't have the bandwidth for any other platforms other than that. So that's really where we'll, we'll be. Um, and I think I probably ended our first call in a similar fashion, but I think the whole reason why I like this work so much is just to reiterate the message that you have so much control over your health. And I think we outsource that a lot. Um, and you don't need anybody outside of yourself to feel better. And I just love the mission of this podcast so much of putting these kinds of conversations out there. So yeah, just rooting for you if you're listening so valuable and we're rooting for you we love you kaylee we're team kaylee you're <laughs> radical our audience loves you so tune in for the next one we'll see you soon big love peace out fam all right friends thanks for tuning in to another episode of radical health radio we got a fresh new podcast for you every wednesday if you enjoyed the show consider liking subscribing reviewing and rating us on your podcast platform it helps to spread this message of radical health we'll see you next week